Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin. I'm on the phone with Brian. And on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the 2004 film The Grudge, directed by Takashi Shimizu, written by Steven Susko, based on the 2002 Japanese film Juon The Grudge, and starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, Jason Baer, and Katie Strickland. In this film, a group of Americans struggle to adapt to life in Japan after encountering a house that has had an unfortunate past. If you're new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion for the first 10 or 15 minutes. We'll talk about the background of the film, and then we'll take a quick break. You'll hear a little bit of music, and then we'll come back, review the plot, hit some of those spoilers, and get into our review. Brian, uh, I hadn't seen this in a long time, but have, have you seen this one before? I had a weird experience with this one where I was like, yeah, I've seen this, but it's been a long time. And now after re-watching it, I don't remember any of it. So I'm still like 90% sure I saw this, but I don't know. I may not have. It felt like a first watch for you? It felt like a first watch. So I don't know if I had just seen it and wasn't really paying attention or had seen a clip of it and thought I had seen the whole thing, but mm. it felt felt totally fresh to me. I might as well have been a first watch. Interesting. There's something very special about being so forgettable that every time you watch a film, it feels like it's the first time you're watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean so forget? I'm forgetful and forgettable. Oh, I, I meant like the film being forgettable potentially, but yeah. Sure. I, I, hey, I know what you meant uh, okay. and it's okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think I saw this one in, in theaters uh, back when the whole uh, J-horror was like a big thing here uh, in the 2000s. And uh, I remember it like being a really fun movie to watch in theaters, but yeah, watching it again, it did feel like so many years later, it felt like a much different experience. Sure. Just like The Ring. It yeah, exactly. Just like The Ring. feels different all these years later. Yeah. Hey, did we do The Ring? Was that this year? I think that was in the last year, right? That we did an episode on The Ring? Yeah, pretty recently. I want to say within the past few months, but... Cool. I don't know how time works anymore. Especially after watching The Grudge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It really jumps around on its timelines. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. This, like, pulls a a memento. Uh, It's it's crazy. Uh, The one uh, thing that really disappointed me and was clear watching this is the PG-13 rating, which I guess the studio kind of committed to up front. Why do studios do this? And they did the same thing with The Ring, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it is to target more viewers and get more people to come into the theater, especially with a movie where most of the scares are supernatural and it's not a slasher. You can really afford to uh, work your way around it and keep that PG-13 rating. And let the record show again that the one who laments the PG-13 rating the most is the one who most frequently chooses the PG-13 movies without even knowing it. I know. Oh, man. I, I don't know uh, why I'm having such bad luck on on these picks and coming up with these PG-13 movies. It's, it's terrible. Juon was R. Oh, it was? Really? Uh, mm. So, oh, Japan has like an R rating and a PG-13 rating? Yeah, good question. I'm not sure how their rating system works. I just know that there is an R next to Juon on IMDb. So maybe yeah. they, they cleared it with uh, the MPA for international releases. I'm not sure how that worked. Okay, cool. And uh, I know we watched Ringu a long time ago and then did The Ring. Uh, I haven't seen Juan, have you? No, I haven't, but it's on my list. I'll probably yeah. watch it sometime in the next few months here. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious uh, about it. And this film is actually a remake of the third film in the Juon series. And that series actually has, what, like 17 films in the franchise or something? Uh, what Do you know what the count is? It was it's it was kind of hard to keep track of and wrap my brain around. There are two Japanese short films in the Juon franchise, eight Japanese feature-length films, and four American films. Oh, the so American 14. films are The Grudge. Yeah, good math. The yeah. Grudge from 2004, The Grudge 2 from 2006, The Grudge 3 from 2009, and then there's The Grudge from 2020, which was a quote-unquote reboot, but I'm guessing they won't make any more after that one. So it's probably maybe a remake of a remake. Mm, Yeah. I'm pretty sure that came out in that month in January 2020. Do you remember this? I'm pretty sure there were three movies. That were really bad. (laughs) That had an F cinema score from audience polls. Yeah. It was that, The Turning, and one other one that I can't remember. Oh, man. Yeah. Those three kind of blended together that January for me. Yeah. I just remember, yeah, a lot of shitty movies out right now. <laughs> yeah, it was a kind of a shitty way to go out on uh, 2020 horror in the theater. We had The Invisible Man before. That mm. was like the last big one before everything shut down. But Right. Yeah, that was a, that was a rough start to the year, and then, yeah, theater shut down. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so the, pretty big series. And it's interesting because we just talked about uh, the Conjuring universe in a recent episode when we talked about Annabelle. I, I almost wonder, like, when you see uh, a series like this where you have 14 films in the franchise, and I understand, like, there's been some crossover with The Ring, too. Do you consider uh, these to be maybe a universe? Like, what, has Japan been ahead of the game on horror universes, or do you think this is more of, like, an installment, like uh, The Saws and what, what have you? Boy, that's a good question. I feel like it's more installments, but I'm not totally sure. It could be a universe. I don't know. I'd have to see those Japanese feature-length films, which I'm kind of intimidated to watch all eight of those. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big commitment. Um, but yeah, it's cra- crazy the success these films have had uh, abroad and to have this like international franchise behind it. Um, and the success, or the, I guess the reason uh, this one was brought here to Hollywood I think was a lot uh, due to the success of The Ring. And then, yeah, we kind of saw a string of J-horror films in 2000s, which uh, do you ever see, do you, do you think that we'll ever have that again? Like J-horror make a big impression and see a bunch of like remakes happening in Hollywood? Or was that like a specific 2000s thing that we're never going to witness again? I think it might be a specific 2000s thing that we won't witness again. I just think people are more open to foreign horror these days and yes we do make u.s remakes of foreign horror films and foreign films in general but Mm -hmm. the pace at which we do that seems much less like yeah and sometimes we hear about them coming and then they never come to fruition or like the they just get stuck in development hell like i know there's supposed to be a u.s remake for goodnight mommy Mm -hmm. i think that might be coming out in 2024 uh, there's a U.S. remake coming for Terrified, right? which is an Argentinian film. So it's still happening, but I don't think it'll ever happen quite as fast as it used to just because of the way the distribution works and the willingness of people to watch a subtitled film, I think, is higher now than it was before. I yeah. Think, I hope. I think you're right. Uh, even personally, I feel like if you're streaming more horror films, 
uh, I'm more likely to like stream a, a foreign film and like be open to subtitles versus going into theater uh, and having to read subtitles. I don't, I don't know why I feel that way, but there's something about reading at home which feels okay. Do you, do you feel that? I do feel that. Honestly, I think that, I don't know if maybe it's just the theaters that I go to, but the picture on my TV is more crisp than the picture in the movie theaters I've been going to. Sure. Uh, which is kind of unfortunate. You would expect the movie theater to always be the best experience. But I know, right? Home, I, I, that might be part of it, man. It's just that our TVs are bigger and the picture quality is better. It's easier. Yeah, you can sit up close and read the subtitles more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also think our culture just has gotten nerdier and there's something, there's a certain like badge of honor to watching the original something or going to the source. Whereas I think before it was, if not fashionable, much less frowned upon to just be like, yeah, I'll wait till they make the US, US version. version of that. Is uh, Does any of that have to do with uh, like where Hollywood was in the 2000s on the world scene in terms of being like the biggest market for uh, studios and, and content generation? And I wonder if like over the last 20 years, other markets have gotten more uh, awareness and like brand recognition. Like I, I know Bollywood is like, more adopted in in like mainstream media here and uh and yeah you have films like parasite that it like you know everyone's going out and see so i wonder if like yeah uh if foreign films just in general and those studios abroad are getting uh more awareness than they had before yeah i think the internet too has helped people gain awareness to everything pretty much but it's so much easier now to be aware of foreign films that you might have interest in whereas before you had to rely on magazines or fanzines what have you totally or go wander into the foreign section of your rental store and dig around which plenty of people did but the the extent to which you had to be a film buff back then to want to get into that kind of stuff right it's just so much less of a barrier now you don't need to be a film buff to be like oh i watched quite a few foreign films this year yeah you know it's just people who do it more often now right right yeah way more accessible so yeah, probably not going to see a revival of of J Horror. It's probably just uh, I mean I I actually that that's the other thing. Like I feel like in the two thousands we thought of Japanese cinema like there was all these like classic J Horror films. In the last few years, when we talk about foreign horror films, uh, Japan I I can't think of like I'm sure there have been some, but like in terms of ones that like have made my radar, uh, I I don't know if any of those have been uh, from Japan. Are you aware of any more recent ones? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely. Japanese horror films coming out on the regular, but I agree. It seems like it's not quite as big of a scene as it once was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like they had that market uh, cornered, and now you got like the sadness, which I think was like a Taiwanese film. The Wailing, which is probably Korean. I think Chinese. Oh, Korean. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah, and uh, yeah. What was the other one uh, that you really liked? The Indonesian one. Oh yeah, Indonesian horror. Uh, the Devil. Oh my God! Oh. May the devil take you. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's cool to see like a bunch of like Southeast Asian countries popping up on the horror scene. Yeah, uh, right. And then there was the medium too. That was, uh, I think that was from Thailand. Ah, cool. Maybe Thailand and the Philippines or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do feel like other uh, Asian countries are popping onto the scene a bit more than Japan. But yeah, yep. I, I don't think that we're done, and there won't be a wave of Japanese horror. That's great. I just think maybe we won't be making remakes of Japanese horror and remakes of foreign films as much yeah. as we did at this point in time. 
Got it, yeah. And it might be for the best. Uh, I think we talked about this on the Ring episode uh, in terms of the reviews on these films. Like, I think the Ring was relatively okay. Though we were surprised, I think the audience score is like a little bit lower, I think, than the critic score. But then after that, it just seems to start to go down. And uh, with The Grudge, we've got, uh, yeah, interesting reviews here. 40% Rotten Tomatoes, 46% audience score, but also put on Robert Ebert's most hated list of films. Uh, so I don't know. What, what do you think the consensus is amongst horror, horror fans these days on like the legacy of this film? Good question. I don't hear it talked about all that much anymore. I remember at the time people talking about how scary it was and plenty of people thought it was scarier than The Ring. But I think that that 2020 remake being just panned did not help the legacy of this film and I think will probably discourage the younger crowds from going back to check it out. And I think the biggest complaint across the board was the non-linear narrative seemed to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, that non-linear narrative really threw me by surprise. Uh, Like, yeah, it was a really interesting choice. And I I do wonder what makes a filmmaker go down that route uh, unless, like, it adds to the story, which we'll, we'll talk about if it does or not. Right, right. And it's funny, too, this felt like such a big thing. Like, oh, my gosh, there's all these Japanese remakes. Really, if you, like, say, look them up, like, okay, what what were they all? (laughs) There's barely that. There's a little more than a handful, really, especially ones that are popular. The Ring and the Grudge is the reason everyone thinks there was this big movement. And I'm not saying there wasn't, but aside from those two and their sequels, there's Dark Water, One Missed Call, Pulse, mm-hmm. not that many more, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It wasn't as widespread as we like it, to talk about it. Yeah, it was this little silo, but it wasn't just this gigantic wave that took over and influenced everything. Yeah. Just a uh, a movement that we weren't used to. I, I Foreign horror wasn't on people's radar, so I think both the internet and these movies made people aware, like, oh, Horror movies are made in other countries, and it's actually good. <laughs> That's a lie. I mean, people have been into Italian horror for oh, forever, sure. but I think more and more people's minds were open to, hey, I, I'm willing to check out any foreign film from any country. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's good. Uh, yeah, you, you, there were only a few, but then if you include the like the installments, like Grudge Part 2, 3, Ring, there was a, there was a Part 2, right? And then... They also try to bring that, uh, like, do a remake or reboot. Yeah, yeah, there were a few of those. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's got a larger footprint than I'm making it out to, but you hear it talked about as if it took over cinema and the aughts. And, yeah. You know, really it didn't. One film that I, I, in that group I think that I really want to see, actually, I don't know if this counts, Audition, have you seen that one? Yeah, there was no U.S. remake for that one. It's just a Japanese film, and I have seen it, and it is something else, man. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, that one's on, on my radar, and uh, I can't wait to get around to that one. But yeah, so you, you'd put that in a separate category because that's J-horror, but not a Hollywood remake. Yes. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a good way to break it up. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, we talked about the Rotten Tomato score. The I guess the, the big success here is the box office. So on a budget of $10 million, this was a huge success. It brought in 170, 187 Point three million at the box office, so uh, definitely a repeat of the Ring. Which uh, shoot, I forget—is this higher than the Ring or lower? 
I think The Ring did better, but I'm not totally sure. Okay, and this was like a few years after. This was a couple years after. This had the 20th largest domestic box office pull for that year. So, yeah, not too bad for a horror film. Weirdly, it was the third highest domestic total for a horror film that year after The Village and Van Helsing. Wow. I can't believe it was behind those two. I know, right? Go That's Van surprising. Helsing. But yeah. some notable notable films that it outperformed were Mean Girls, The Notebook, Anchorman, and Saw. Wow. Saw. That's to crazy. To put some things in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was a big deal. Yeah. That was a big deal. That sounds like a big year, actually. A lot of, a lot of big uh, movies that right. have lived on. Yep. Uh, and uh, star power-wise, this had like some of the bigger, well, I guess two big Hollywood stars at the time. With Bill Pullman and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sure, yeah. I think I think this was like during their, I, I guess, kind of later uh, side of their careers. Uh, maybe they peaked late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I think, was kind of easing her way out of... She's still working and doing a lot of voiceover work and stuff. But yeah, she didn't have as many big uh, films on, to her name after this. Mm, right, right. Yeah, seeing her with the phone in this reminded me of uh, her cameo in Scream 2. Right, right. But, but uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Sam Raimi on here as a producer? Uh, that was kind of surprising. I, I didn't know he dabbled in a, in Japanese horror remakes. Did you? Yeah, I wasn't aware of that either. But once I saw it, it rang a bell because I, I think I remember seeing his name on that 2020 remake. But, yeah, it's under his production company, Ghost House Pictures, him and Robert Tapert. Yep. And they produced along with Takashige Ichize. Probably okay. pronouncing that wrong, but there it is. Got it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, any other background? Oh, let's see. Is there any background worth discussing at this point in time? I feel like not really. I got some stuff that maybe we can get into as we discuss the themes and everything. But I think I want to say some thanks and some shout outs. So uh, it's Spotify wrapped season, a little bit past that by the time you guys are hearing this. So I just want to thank everybody that has shared their Spotify wrapped with us. We are flattered and honored that so many of you have spent so much time listening to us. And uh, I bet I should post our wrapped as well to show you <laughs> that our show has grown a lot this year too. Thanks to all of you. And uh, thanks so much for listening. And I want to give a special shout out to Gracie, who I think... Maybe in the running for our number one fan based on her Spotify wrapped. Wow. Thanks, so thank Gracie. Thank you, Gracie. And uh, thanks to some new patrons. Uh, let's see. Connor D., Reed, Madison, Eric S., Courtney F., and Grace C. Thank you all so much. I wonder if Grace C. is the same Gracie I just shouted out. Mm. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange Patreon button. For a dollar a month, you gain access to bonus episodes. Uh, trying to do those each month as of late, but we get a little streaky. So thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon, and we're trying to be more consistent there and put out a show a month for you. Speaking yeah. of consistency, I was inconsistent in emailing Alex which I usually do with plenty of advance notice, but didn't think to do it this time until it was so last minute that I thought I would just do the Ohio Connection myself. Is that okay with you? Ooh, exciting. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. The Grudge is a 2004 supernatural horror film starring, among others, Grace Zabriskie. Boy, Graces are everywhere. Mm. Zabriskie has appeared in many films over her 45-year career, but is is perhaps best known for her recurring television roles 
as Sarah Palmer in David Lynch's Twin Peaks and for her role as Mrs. Ross, the mother of George's fiancée Susan on Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, that's where I know her from. That's where you know that face? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks for placing that for me. You're welcome. George lost Susan to an accidental death in season seven, and in season eight, he would accidentally go on to insult a man in a similar situation. In an episode titled The Comeback, George is insulted by a coworker and doesn't come up with a perfect comeback until the coworker has changed jobs and moved to a different state. In an effort to execute his perfect comeback, George flies to the coworker's new place of business, and when the comeback doesn't go over as well as suspected, George tells the man he slept with his wife. This is untrue, of course, but the joke does not go over well because the coworker's wife is in a coma. This awkward moment takes place at the coworker's new place of business, Firestone Tire and Rubber in Akron, Ohio. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> wow, great connection. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> nice job, man. Thanks, uh, man. Uh, that's, that's that's a fun one to dig up. That's the the whole uh, the shrimp uh, the ocean called. They the, want their shrimp back or something. <laughs> yeah, and the jerk store <laughs> called. <laughs> They're running out of you. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's really good. Uh, great, nice, nice. Love, love a good uh, Seinfeld tie-in. Yeah, uh, awesome. Well, any anything else, or do you want to jump to the uh, discussion on the the plot? Let's dig in. Okay. Hey, before we do, though, uh, I think I just heard uh, something outside. Can I give you a call back in a few minutes? Sure. Better check that out. Yeah, I'll give it a check. All right. Hey, Brian. Sorry. Yeah, I I just uh, had a little issue I had to deal with here. What was up with Uh, that? Oh, man. Uh, So I've got this uh, secret room where I keep all these pictures of Sarah Michelle Gellar and like a shrine to her and like all these love notes. Um, I mean, when I call it a secret room, it's just the room next to our bedroom. And I I just have like a do not go in here, a secret room sign on it. But my wife somehow found that room. And uh, (laughs) yeah, just kind of turned into like a, a big showdown. Oh man! Despite all those precautions, huh? I know, I know. I thought, <laughs> I thought the sign on the door <laughs> would, uh, yeah, keep keep it hidden. Boy, that's a really good point. What a clunky thing to have in this really complicated <laughs> plot. That's just like the most basic thing ever. Yeah, he just wanders into a room and it's got all the photos of like, uh, yeah, this this woman's obsession with the uh, with him, right? Very it's, strange. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. All right, so well, yeah, th- this is a very strange movie, and uh, bear with me while we talk about some interesting timelines. But to start with, we get Brian's favorite, uh, a lot of text in the beginning that talks about how a grudge can be a curse that is born after someone dies in this extreme rage and that it can spread to others who somehow encounter that rage or others who uh, might be in the same environment or something. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of background on why it's called the grudge. And then we see Bill Pullman, who plays this professor named Peter, uh, hanging out on a high balcony in Japan before jumping off to his death. Thoughts on the opening? Was this memorable at all? Or like a, a hook that got you at all? I thought that was a fairly freaky suicide. He just looks back at his wife and topples over the balcony. Uh, I, it got me. I actually thought that was a pretty effective opening. How about you? No way. Uh, yeah, yeah, it didn't, it didn't really work for me. I thought it was kind of 
boring and slow and like uh, not really climactic in the way it would like uh, progress. Like I feel like as soon as you see him on the balcony, just like staring off, like you know that uh, he's gonna do something terrible. Suicides from a height in a public place really mm-hmm. bother me. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll make a note there. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to get under my skin, Ash. Yeah. <laughs> just find a very oh, tall that building. Ashman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rascal. You got me again. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I think because like we don't really know any of these characters at this point, and there's like really no dialogue or anything. Uh, I'm, I'm not really too bought in yet to to care about this person jumping off a, a balcony. Um, okay, all right. But, so yeah. Bill Pullman stirs nothing in you. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. He's not pulling anything for me. Not okay. pulling this man. So then we follow, uh, I think her name is Yoko, right? <laughs> is that an expression? <laughs> yeah. You got to pull a man with you, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> Emotionally on your journey there. Yeah. Uh, so Yoko, right, is the coworker? Yeah. That's it's a care worker. Yep. The care worker. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The care worker. So uh, we meet Yoko. She's arriving at this house to care for an elderly woman named Emma. While Yoko is at this house, she hears some strange noises coming from the upstairs room. She goes up there to investigate. Hears something from the ceiling. She takes a look in the crawl space and is attacked by a ghostly-looking woman who pulls her into the crawl space. Uh, so this is like our second, uh, death in like, what, five, 10 minutes. What what did you think? Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was fairly creepy looking, um, but also a bit generic. Um, maybe that's a good summary of the whole movie, a bit generic, but also kind of creepy. Yeah. Creepy and generic. Yeah. Yeah. I I think uh, the generic part, uh, for me felt like the, 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 the costume designer, the the visual of the the girl in the crawl space, but is, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the costume design. What do you mean? Just like the the white and the long ha- white outfit and long hair? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, I got something for you on that. Uh, okay. Let's see. So I think the tradition of Japanese ghosts is that they typically have long, dark, disheveled hair, and and they're wearing white. Because people are buried in like a white burial shroud in Japanese culture traditionally. Interesting. And women would typically wear, they would grow their hair long but pin it up. Mm -hmm. And then for the burial, they unpin it and, you know, leave it down. Wait, for their burial or when they go to someone else's burial? For their own burial. Like when the body is buried. Yeah. So, you know, a ghost looking like it was when it was buried... The, the tradition of Japanese ghosts is that this is their prototypical appearance, like dressed in white, long black disheveled hair, which is ah. why, you know, the ring and this and Pulse kind of have some similar looking ghouls. Wow, that's really interesting. They really get to know. Yeah, all, all three have the long hair as like a, a, a visual that like you constantly see coming down. And like yeah, right. And even the uh, credits, it's a very Sam Raimi opening credits. It almost looks a little bit comic booky. Oh, yeah. But it's like a red, bloody, blood red background. And then there's kind of these black tendrils Strands. on the screen yeah. as well, which I assumed to be hair. Okay. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. That explains a lot uh, from, from like all these movies. Cool. Okay. 
So, uh, but I, I did enjoy like the suspense here of her like kind of poking around the attic, and uh, yeah, we, when she first goes up in the crawl space, kind of seeing the face before she does, like right? Don't we see like a? Yeah, we get a quick a... glimpse before she sees it. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of fun. But I, I agree that the actual scare is a little bit generic. So after this happens, we meet Karen, who's played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. She is also uh, a nurse or care worker. Uh, who works for the same company that Yoko does. So when Yoko doesn't show up for work, Karen's boss sends her as a replacement. So Karen now goes to the same house to take care of Emma. And again, she hears uh, some strange noises. Uh, She goes up to the same room, and this time there's a lot of tape around uh, the closet. So she pulls the tape off and looks inside and sees a young boy hiding in there. She calls her boss to inform him, uh, but then she sees all this hair kind of falling down from the ceiling and uh, the old woman, Emma, dies and Karen uh, goes into shock. What did you think of this sequence of getting to know Karen and following her into the same house? I enjoyed it because it was like, OK, here's our main character and this is Sarah Michelle Geller, who I know stars in this movie. There's nothing too special about it. We don't learn that much about her or anything. So it's kind of a bummer because this is the last of that for a while. We see that woman, the ghoulish woman, come up to Sarah Michelle Geller and, you know, make that trademark grudge sound like, uh, yeah. And then, uh. That's it. And then Sarah Michelle Gellar goes away for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, she's just gone for a little bit now. We, m- yeah. we move on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, there's nothing like too special about uh, her character. And uh, like there's some dialogue between her and her boyfriend. And you can tell uh, she's like talking about like traditions at a cemetery, which isn't all that interesting. Uh, and I feel like it's kind of repetitive, the, the house sequencing, because we just saw this with Yoko where she went into a house, heard some scary stuff, poked around, found something, uh, and we're just seeing Karen do that again, basically. It is a bit repetitive. That's true. That's true. And we learn here that it sounds like her boyfriend is the one who like wanted to study abroad and or work abroad or something, and she's here with him. Oh, is that what he was I can understand the word of their conversation. I think they're both in school here. Yeah. But I think okay. she's in school kind of because he wanted to come here. Oh, interesting. Or it would be good for his major or good for his career, something like that. Okay, that's super interesting because then, yeah, we jump back, uh, I don't know, a few days in time and meet the couple who bought this place. And it's a similar dynamic, right, where the husband has come here for work and the wife is kind of begrudging uh, being here in, in Japan. Yeah, I have that in my notes. Two different American women who've been dragged to Japan by their husbands for job or school. And uh, I think a lot of Japanese horror films are about this topic that Japan was wrestling with a lot in like the late 20th century. The collapse of the Japanese traditional family. Hmm. Or perhaps the imagined collapse or... things just not going how people had always expected them to. And a lot of it had to do with women's role in the family and the changing kind of ecosystem around that. So it sounds like this is a common theme in a lot of Japanese horror. Interesting. And uh, when was Lost in Translation? Because I feel like that 
has a similar vibe to it where you have uh, a woman who comes to Tokyo with her boyfriend and is like feeling pretty disconnected from him and like not really feeling the new area that much. Oh, interesting. I want to say it was probably somewhere around this time here. Yeah. So there's just a trend of movies showing uh, couples from America coming to Japan and uh, one of the like, yeah, the, the husband generally being into it and the, and the wife not so much. Sure. I guess so. And, and it's symbolic of the, the demise of the nuclear family in Japan. Yeah. I wouldn't say Lost in Translation is, but the the there have been essays and books written about how Japanese horror represents the collapse of the Japanese traditional family. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I could see how that plays a central role here when we talk about who some of these uh, ghost spirits are later. Exactly. Cool. Uh, good find. So then we jump, yeah, back a few uh, days. Actually, I'm not even sure how far back we jump. Uh, I'm a little confused on the timeline here. But first, we uh, go back in time and meet Matt and Jennifer, who have just moved into this house with their mother, Emma. Um, Jennifer, I assume at some point after they've moved in, and close to the current events that we've been talking about, sees a figure running around the house and upstairs and goes to investigate. Her husband, Matt, comes home and finds her paralyzed on the bed and staring at the ceiling, making a noise, and then sees the ghost of a boy at the edge of the bed before he kind of backs off and gets attacked by the ghost woman. So, I don't know, yeah, for me, I felt like, how many times are we going to see this same scenario of someone coming to the house, going upstairs, and something scary happens to them. Yeah, I mean, three so far. It's getting pretty, <laughs> yeah. it is getting pretty repetitive. Yeah, and it's almost like the same camera angles every time, like them at like the hallway or from like the top of the stairs looking down, uh, opening the same room, making the same face, walking very slowly. I feel like it's, it's getting repetitive. One thing I'll say about this movie, I couldn't help but compare it to The Ring because, you know, they're always just kind of paired together. And I remember people at the time saying The Grudge was scarier than The Ring and me being like, nah, no way. But the scares are much more frequent here than they are in The Ring. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's one thing that really surprised us on this last watch of The Ring is like how slow and how like spaced out those scares were. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, well, then later that evening, we finally get like a sequence that isn't taking place in the house. Matt's sister who had helped them buy the house and so has been in the house, uh, is at work where she gets stalked by some kind of ghost first in the stairwell of her office. Then she sees it on the security camera. So she runs home, but there ultimately she falls under attack of a ghost who is hiding under her sheets and she goes missing. Um, I, I kind of appreciated, uh, I, I liked uh, the camera work here of like the shadow uh, turning into a ghost and like the uh, body crawling down the stairs in the stairwell. Uh, did, what about you? Did, the, did you enjoy the sequence? Uh, yeah, I did. This was a good one. And really, I've kind of enjoyed all of them, even if they are a little bit repetitive. Hmm. And I can't remember if you are getting to this or if it already happened, but where the police come and discover the bodies or are you still getting to that part still getting to that i think okay. yeah yeah it's I, confusing yeah. the timelines are confusing i know yeah i can't remember exactly when that happens because yeah maybe you're right maybe that happens right before this does doesn't matter sometimes it's easier <laughs> to explain the story out of order yeah i know uh like this the story for sure uh i, th I, th I thought it was cool we're finally in a new setting here and it, and it gave like a uh, putting the ghost in a new space because i feel like what we've been seeing has been so repetitive yeah and it lets us know that okay maybe things can happen to people who aren't in this house exactly yeah yeah 
exactly. So it's world building a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, um, Karen has been taken to the hospital, and a detective named Detective Nakagawa is investigating the house. And in the attic, they find bodies, the bodies of Matt and Jennifer. So do you have a sense, like, when did Matt and Jennifer pass? Like, what's what's your interpretation of the timeline here? I believe it was three years ago. What? They've been <laughs> dead in the attic for three years? No, wait a minute. Those two. Actually, I'm not sure about those two. I'm thinking of something else. Okay. Because, yeah, <laughs> it must have been recent because while Karen's at the house, the sister calls and leaves a message like looking for Matt and Jennifer, right? Yeah, right. And the woman there, Emma, played by Grace Zabritsky or whatever her last name is, uh, Zabritsky, yeah, she is their, his mother. So, yeah, I think they've only been gone a day or two. Okay. Like they've been dead up in the attic for, yeah, a couple of days. Okay, okay. Uh, but that's a cool scene. We, we get to see like some uh, jaw on the floor, like a half a mouth. Yeah, we see their dead bodies and we see, yeah, half a mouth on the floor. And this is when it became clear to me that maybe this was shot as an R and edited to PG-13. Mm, yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, it could have been a deliberate decision all along because you see those bodies and it seems like, okay, we're going to see more of those. But no, it never comes. <laughs> they only remain as like a uh, something in the barely in the frame for a oh, split man. second. They're like off in the corner. And then yeah. the jaw is on screen for an awkwardly short time. I know. It's, it's so just like, strange. wait, was that a jaw? Like, I, yeah. I think I saw some teeth, but I'm not totally sure. It was a weird editing job. And I think that's probably because of, uh, hey, we got to make this PG-13. I think you're right. Uh, I think there is an unrated version out there that I, I'd love to see. Because, yeah, in that sequence, I feel like 99% of the shot is on the guy's face and his expression as he's seeing the scene that's in front of him. And he expects we'll, we'll be seeing with all this time that you're spending on his discovery and his reaction to it, that as the audience, we'd get a chance to absorb it. But yeah, we don't. And it, it is really weird. It's one of those things where it sounds like if you haven't seen this movie, that maybe we're nitpicking, but you, some part of you digests the flow of movies and how things go and like what the typical cadence is. And this is a scene where you just like something in your body knows the timing was off. Like, that's yeah. not how we make movies. <laughs> so it was pretty obvious. It was. It was. Yeah, this is unfortunate. So uh, after this, uh, Karen does some researching and discovers that a murder-suicide took place at this house a few years ago. Three years ago, potentially? That was three years ago, yeah. Okay. And what had happened is a husband murdered his wife and child before taking his own life. In that same article, though... There's a uh, there's note about another man, Pete, who we saw in the opening. That professor uh, had also jumped to his death on like that same day. So somehow she figures there's a connection between the two deaths. I don't know if it's because they're on the same page of the newspaper or what do you you think the connection? Like, how did she tie those two things together? Okay, so Karen, when she found that taped up closet with the little boy and the cat in there, there was also a book in there. Like a notebook. So she grabbed that, started flipping through it, and found Bill Pullman's picture in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where it was from. Okay. So, yeah, now when she sees the photo of him and his death on the same day, she realizes there's a connection. Hey, did the book aspect remind you at all of the Evil Dead? No. Okay. (laughs) That's all. The the only thing (laughs) they have in common is that they are both books. (laughs) They both have pages numbered one. (laughs) 
one and, and Wait, goes up from book? one. Pages? <laughs> Sam Raimi? Sarah Michelle Gellar is a dead <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> so she goes and uh, finds the partner of Pete who uh, was with him on the day he died. And uh, Pete's partner shows Karen all the photos of uh, her and Pete hanging out. And Karen notices that in the background, there's a very angry woman uh, in each of the photos. And I think Karen recognizes this woman as the mother who was murdered in the house so many years ago, right? Correct. Okay. And determines, somehow figures out here, okay, so anyone who walks into that house uh, is falling under the curse of this woman or, or the grudge, like as the... The text at the beginning mentioned, like, some, yeah, if you come into encounter with a place that has had something terrible happen to you, this curse can kind of follow you around and kill you. Is that, is that, was that your understanding? That is my understanding. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So she tells Detective Nakagawa about this, and he agrees because some suspicious things have happened when they were looking at that case years ago. And so he goes to the house to burn it down. But while he's there, he's attacked and killed by a ghost who throws him into a bathtub. Karen then receives a message from her boyfriend that he's gone to the house to look for her and goes there. Uh, one cool thing that happened at some point here is Yoko, who we saw murdered at the beginning, uh, shows back up at the college university or whatever, wherever her office is, and the, her employer sees her. But her, yeah, the bottom half of her face is like missing and she's like stumbling around. I thought this was surprisingly gory for a PG-13 movie. That, what did you for think? a PG-13 movie, that was something I would be surprised that they kept in there. But I'm yeah. glad they did. That was a cool moment. Same, same. I was, I was, I was pretty happy to see that. Uh, so at the house, when Karen goes there to the house and she has this vision from three years ago when Professor Pete came to the house to confront a woman who had been stalking him and sending him letters. When he gets to the house, though, he finds that the whole family has been murdered, and he finds a room that has all this, uh, like a whole wall dedicated to him, and like a bunch of love notes to him, and a bunch of photos uh, of the family, but the woman's face is ripped off. I'm assuming the husband did that. Is that right? Hmm. Yeah, I would guess so. Once he found out about her obsession with Bill Pullman. Oh yeah. So step one, edit all the photos. Step two, murder. <laughs> yeah, there's an order of operation there. <laughs> Got it. Yep. So uh, the vision then fades, and Karen now sees her boyfriend who's crawling on the floor. Something's looks like it's happened to him. She tries to help him escape the house, but the ghost woman comes down the stairs and presumably kills him. Karen lights the gasoline that the detective had left there and burns the house down. The movie then ends with Karen now at the hospital. She sees the body of her boyfriend under a blanket and thinking the curse is over, uh, she goes to kind of pull the blanket off, but is surprised to find that the ghost of the woman is standing right behind her. And that's where the movie ends, right? That's it. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. Uh, probably doesn't bode well for Karen. Yeah. I wonder if she makes it to the sequels. Uh, probably not, right? I would guess not, but I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. Mm, yeah. What did you think? Was it was this just uh, too many people just going to a house and getting messed up? Not only is it too many people and too many storylines, but when we go back and forth to these different people's storylines... 
they're alone. So like not only are we spending a lot of time with different characters, but they're largely alone for it. Like we do see them interacting with boyfriends or husbands, but that's like quick. And then they start exploring the house on their own or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to get into these characters just because of the toggling. But then we don't get to see them interact with anybody else or take any actions of consequence. So we don't get to know them at all. We barely know what kind of person this is, aside from just quick discussions they have with their significant others that seem like they're trying to develop them, but don't really. And so, yeah, the, there is no character to ground you in this journey. Like, mm-hmm. Karen is the main character, but she's gone boy, we really like... don't spend a whole lot of time with her for being the main character. Yeah, what, is she like even in half of this movie, or do you think less... That's a good question. It might be less. Like we get pulled into Jen's story, played by Clea Duvall. Mm-hmm. Clea, Clea, and then we get pulled into Bill Pullman's story for a while. And for a while, we're in what is it, Tuco's story? Or yeah, uh, we spend time with Detective Nakagawa and his yeah, we're in his story. There's at least five stories, like five yeah. characters that we're. <laughs> With and they interact so infrequent, infrequently with the other characters that it's just really hard to uh, really have any affection for anybody or yeah. or to care what happens to any of them. I agree. I agree. Yeah, there's no emotional connection. You're not grounded in anyone. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, that, that's a big miss. In one aspect of that, could kind of frame this movie as uh, not an anthology, but uh, I wonder if there's a version of this where it's like separate stories i like the the goal i'm sure was yeah like uh, have all these different lives and but they're all connected by their them encountering this like house that has a curse which which could be really cool and like if we saw it like play out in different ways but those stories uh are all very similar i feel like except for one that happens at an office otherwise they all kind of like start and end the same way don't they yeah it's kind of like a collection of short films that are all very similar like slightly different versions of one another which is kind of a shame. It's a weird way to assemble a movie. I do understand that it's a mystery unfolding, so that's the point of the nonlinear narrative. And I, I think that has some effect. Like, I, I do think you kind of learn the information as it comes to you, and it's an interesting way to learn how it all started or what the source is. Mm-hmm. But for all the toggling, it really it's not worth it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm not even sure the story is like all that interesting enough where like at the end it hits you and like, and you're like, oh, that's why this is happening or something. It, it's not like a big payoff on, on like the mystery building. Uh, and I don't know, for me, I also, even after finishing the film, I didn't connect that the woman that they're all seeing uh, was the wife. I thought it was just some other random girl. But did, did that make sense to you that that, that was the wife the whole time? Yeah, yeah, it did. Oh, okay. But I, I feel yeah, because it's just, and she also looks so generic. She doesn't really look yeah. like a person. She looks like <laughs> exactly a CGI ghost or something. Which yeah, I don't know how much CG there was in this, but it's some, uh, at least some. Yeah, it's weird because I know costume design like would take a few hours, but it does look very CGI. At least like their movements and stuff. Right. Uh, and then and then there's a random cat. Like no one really talks about the cat that's hanging out there too. Yeah, the cat seems unnecessary. 
Yeah, but then uh, they're all like the the kid. I think every time he opens his mouth, he sounds or, like the cat. <laughs> yeah, so there's some like weird dynamic that's going on there between the kid and the cat. And I think in the Japanese version, there's more explanation where uh, maybe those souls like merged or something at some point. Ah, uh, uh, okay. But in in this movie, it feels like very unexplained. Do you ever see? I think there's one scene where we see the ghost of the husband, right? Uh, yeah, I think maybe he drowns the police officer in the tub. Right, yeah, but that's that's like the one time we see it, right? Yeah, I believe all the other so. Times. Yeah, yeah. I, we see his ghost, and then we do see him in like a flashback. I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Killing his wife and son. Right. Yep. So yeah, a lot of ghosts uh, that were not really embedded in, and then a lot of like living people that were not embedded in. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of people overall. It's too many people. You j- just cut cut a character or two, or tell it all in the order that it happened. Yeah, that I don't wonder why they chose not to do that. Uh, that could have been like a pretty straightforward, cool movie. Maybe give them more time to like spend time with like the main characters, right? Yeah, I mean, we really needed to be grounded in somebody, and we needed to be grounded in Karen, and we weren't. It's just yeah, you know, a total, totally missed opportunity, especially when you have some star power on this in this film. And I know, yeah. Just a waste. Too much time with them. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm curious if the original film jumps around timeline as well. I, I got to look back and check that. Right. I, I've. I read that this was fairly accurate to the original. But yeah, I'm gonna see it in the next few months here, and I'll. I'll let you know. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, but I, I do get the sense this was edited down for the gore. I think there also is like some details, uh, or explanations that, that might've made, uh, help like ground us a little bit more in some of the ghost characters as well. Um, like for example, I think the dad, there's a scene where Bill Pullman, like hears a, a thumping in one of the rooms and he opens the door and we get the sense that like someone's hanging in that room, but we don't really see the body, do we? Oh yeah, we do see the body. Um, oh, is that the that's the dad? It's the it's the dad who killed his wife and son. And uh, apparently, he's supposed to be hung by the long hair from the dead woman. Is that right? Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I think that's written somewhere. I don't know if that happened in the original or something, but yeah, uh, that detail was kind of left out here. Uh, that like he killed his wife apparently, and then her her ghost comes back and hangs the husband with her hair or something but yeah kind of a missed uh cue here yeah yeah i did not understand that that was happening at all uh well yeah so definitely the character stuff sucks uh what do you think like worked what were like some of the uh your favorite parts of this you know i'll tell you what buddy i actually like the scares i I thought they were well paced and pretty engaging often creepy i wasn't afraid to turn out the lights at night or anything but it was effective i Again, using the ring as the bar, it doesn't have one big cataclysmic scare that rivals the conclusion of the ring, and it doesn't have anything really eerie and disturbing like the tape in the ring, but the scares peppered throughout are better and more frequent, and honestly, I think it makes for a a scarier movie. Interesting, yeah, the pacing of the scares. Yeah, yeah, I mean, The Ring is a better movie, a more well-constructed and engaging watch, but... yeah. I think maybe the grudge is a little creepier. Yeah. Generally, I think I would agree with you that like it's fun to have more scares throughout. Uh, it just felt like the scare here was so much hindered on or like hang- hanging all their weight on the appearance of this ghost woman, which I feel like after the first or second time we see her, 
just like loses its scariness. And so uh, for me, like those uh, later scares, like after uh, like 15, 20 minutes into this film, just felt like you're trying to repeat like the same, oh, here's a woman with long hair over her face. And that's not scary anymore because we've seen her like a million times now. I thought that happened with the little boy. I was no longer afraid of the little boy. Um, but it didn't, the, the woman didn't wear on me quite as much, but I totally hear what you're saying. And yeah, that's a good argument because it's, you know, maybe the ring should be lauded for its restraint and the grudge right. goes a little too hard. And by the end, it's kind of watered down. There was a really cool scare at the end that got me where the face, the woman's face pops through the op- partially open front door and then kind of oh, like yeah. slides down to the floor to yeah. Sir Michelle Geller's character. That that got me. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was a good, a good last one there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they really use that face pretty effectively. <laughs> yeah, uh, good, good, good face they, scares. And it's funny because yeah. she almost never, except when she kills the sister, is like shown in her full form. It's always just her like face that seems kind of disembodied. Even when she kills the sister, isn't it like her face under the blanket? Yeah, but I think for a minute there, on the at least on the security tapes, you see oh, yeah. her uh, partially fully formed. Sure. Yeah, I, I feel like every time I saw her, it was just so reminiscent of The Ring uh, that uh, yeah, it was hard to to give the movie too much originality points there because the, the Ring like really owned that image of a, a girl with like long hair over her face, like moving in kind of a blitzy way. Yeah, the twitchy motion is a. Not only is that a big like Japanese horror remake thing, maybe Japanese horror as well, but that just felt like part of cinema. Around this decade. Yeah. And it's carried over. It still exists. Um, yeah. I guess like zombie movies were doing it. Uh, like I think like 28 days later. Yeah, not. right. Through through the editing. They did it through the editing. But yeah, I think like a, a monster that moves jaggedly is... That was prominent in... I always go back to House on Haunted Hill from 1999. I mm. remember seeing that style for the first time in that movie and... I think maybe James Wan does a little bit of it too. Okay, like Dead yeah, Silence. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Um, okay. Well, yeah. So uh, you like the pacing of the scares? Uh, any other strengths to call out? I think maybe if you, there's maybe some themes here that are of interest. I don't know that they're really like landing any sort of plane, but that whole thing about like the patriarchal structure of Japanese society clashing with a more balanced view on gender roles. I think maybe it was the like Western society, like and globalization that was kind of infringing on that dynamic. Yeah. And women were kind of, you know, maybe it was their own entirely internal thing in Japan, but I can't help. And I have read that, you know, Western views kind of influenced that a little bit. Um, women kind of wanting to have more power and choice over their roles in the family. Mm -hmm. And not only do we get two women here who are kind of dragged to Japan by their husbands, but you also have this woman pining for Bill Pullman, and maybe that's kind of a representation of just pining for like the Western family dynamic or yeah. Western ideals as opposed to the traditional Japanese family structure. Mm. Like he is a stand-in for that influence. Right. I don't know that you could really 
thread that needle through the movie that accurately, but at least it gives you kind of something to chew on and think about. <laughs> yeah, I like <laughs> in that what interpretation. feels like a shallow movie otherwise. Yeah, no, I really like that interpretation. That That's really interesting. And uh, I think, uh, I believe some of that because, uh, yeah, if you look at the other remakes of uh, J-horror films in the U.S., this is the only one that actually takes place in Japan. I think all the other ones they remade uh, in Hollywood and they take place in the U.S. So they kept this one there. And I, yeah, so I wonder if they're playing to like some kind of cultural element of, of the horror that, that's happening on that end. Yeah, yeah, I think that could be very true. And then you also have a dynamic where, oh, my thought's gone. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> what, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, uh, it's coming to me. Taking place it's in budding. Japan. Oh, I read something about Japanese ghosts where there is some lore that if you are lower class when you die, you're even more of a vicious ghost. Wow. Like if you die in a tragedy and you're the lower the class, the more vicious the ghost, hmm. which could be a commentary on the class of, you know, women and children in Japan as opposed to the, the men and men, the patriarchal. Yeah structure there so yeah no that's super fascinating uh yeah i kind of feel like indian culture might have some of that too like generally evil ghosts or spirits came from uh yeah you never hear of like some rich guy becoming (laughs) (laughs) evil ghost or something (laughs) this guy was so mad that he got screwed out of his stock options that (laughs) he haunts the boardroom (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think we're scared enough of those people alive like (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah that's that's really fascinating um but I, I don't know, like we, we do see, uh, like we briefly see the ghosts of the guy in this one too. But yeah, you're right. Most of the, con- the m- most of the scares focused on the woman and, and the child. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and that's, uh, cool. you know, the patriarchy fighting back against the desire right. for a more Western view of family life. Yeah, man. Westerners. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just Ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the timeline uh, helped or detracted? I get the sense from you that it detracted. It detracted. Like, I want to appreciate what the director was doing here, but I I don't. I just think it it's the movie is worse because of it. Yeah, I agree. You can't agree. connect to the film. Yeah, it makes it really hard to uh, just because, yeah, you're, you're kind of ungrounded the whole time or don't, don't know where you are in the story. Right. I'm still, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm still a little bit confused on the days, but uh, you think that amount of days between, like, like two days of those that couple in the attic being gone, feels like a, a likely scenario, like their their decomposition uh, lines with that. Yeah, I wish we could have gotten a better look at their decomposition, but it does yeah. seem like they were a bit too decomposed <laughs> yeah. to have been gone for super long. Yeah, or I mean, or to sh- have been gone for short... only a, just such a short time. Yeah, it seems like yeah. a few weeks. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's a little confusing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, timeline confused me more than, like, adding to the story. Um, and, yeah, any anything else you want to mention before we jump to the rating? Not really, man. There's just the, not that much to a – it just doesn't spark that much dis- discussion, does it? It's a, a shallow movie. I know. It's really shocking. I feel like usually we have uh, – like, you, you can pick through a movie or, like, the things it tries to do or elements. But, yeah, this one doesn't offer too much. It's pretty thin. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, then let's uh, jump to the rating. How many bottom halves of your face on the floor would you give? What was that? Was that like her her jaw? Lower mandible? Yeah. How many lower mandibles uh, would you give this one? 
You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three out of five. Lower mandibles. I do think it's structurally a bit of a mess, but I was on board for this scares enough that I did enjoy the movie, and I wasn't expecting much from it. So uh, even though the film's frequent toggling between characters in the past and present prevents the viewer from becoming wholly engaged in the film and its stakes, the frequent and effective scares make it a worthwhile watch for me. Wow, that's, that's yeah. A- I'm going a little high on this, but I I feel like I. It's in keeping with my ratings of movies like The Nun, where I'm mm-hmm. like, it's a fun throw ride. I wasn't expecting much more. Fine, mm-hmm. I liked it. You know? Yeah, low bar. Is it, yeah, is it yeah. how about film? you, buddy? How many lower mandibles? Uh, only one and a half lower mandibles, which, oh, which is wow. really strange. Okay. Yeah, I, I really had good uh, memories of this film, and I thought I would really enjoy it, and I think I ha- held that in my mind that like I, this is on par with The Ring. But yeah, on rewatch, uh, it just hit me that this movie really doesn't go anywhere. And it tries to hit us over the head with the same scare over and over again, like the similar visuals. I, I get like the faces in a different spot in the screen, and then <laughs> now it's higher and now it's lower. <laughs> like, that's a cool trick. But uh, yeah, it, it gets old. And then I feel like they don't make any headway into the plot or the characters. And so they're really, it's hard to call this like a, a concrete film because I feel like we, we don't get too much here. Uh, in terms of uh, story characters or anything really. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going against, I know you always hound me for giving something a high rating if it doesn't have good character development because I always talk about how important that is. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm really putting that aside for just the thrill right here. I cannot really defend, I feel like I can defend a one and a half better than I can defend a three, (laughs) but it's just how I personally feel about the movie. It's not great, and uh, I... I understand the dislike, man. I, I get it. It is. They are monotonous scares. Uh, they really are. Yeah. They, I don't they, think they I are. would hold up well for me on a rewatch. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a one and done thing. Yeah. It's cool. Well, I, I'm glad it felt like a first watch. I, I think, yeah, this is the type of film, like the first time you see it, especially if you don't know what to expect. Uh, or, yeah, if, if you're just there for like the jump scares, it's fun. But, yeah, when, when you go back, uh, there isn't much much else there. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately. Great. Already. <laughs> Anything else? That's, I think, the biggest gap we've had in a rating that was not accompanied by any arguing. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like normally if we're two full points apart, we've got a bit of a debate, but I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you're probably (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I can totally see the three from like a first time watch as well. That, That makes sense. Sure. All right, cool. Agreed to disagree on this. Agree (laughs) agree to be two points apart, two lower mandibles apart. Is it two? Wait, it's one and a half, right? One and a half to three? Uh, oh yeah, math. Oh, yeah. you know why I can't do math is because I wrote down three or three and a half. <laughs> oh my god! And then as I started, the moment we started talking, I was like, "What was I thinking?" It's a three. <laughs> yeah. So okay, we're only one and a half apart. Okay. That's oh my cool. gosh, that's some embarrassing math. I I think that it was too interwoven in the conversation for you to edit it out. So now everyone knows like <laughs> can't do cannot math do simple spot. math. Yeah, exactly. It's out there now. Yeah. All yeah, right. Well, that uh, the world. this guy, yeah. this guy <laughs> likes the grudge and he can't do yeah. math. <laughs> He's been exposed. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's adding up. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion on the, on, oh shit, on the grudge. If you enjoy this episode, did you have anything else to add by any chance? Uh, nope. I, okay, I think cool. uh, <laughs> clearly I can't add or subtract, so I think <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all done. You're good. Okay. So if you enjoyed our episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find our show. 
and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join in the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Patreon, as Brian mentioned, where you can uh, support our show for as little as a dollar a month and get access to some bonus episodes. The link to that is on our websites. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com. You can find our Discord link on our website to chat up with, uh, where you can find other fans of the genre and and, uh, chat with them about horror films and other things. And until next time, uh, let's see. The next time you want to stalk someone, try avoiding being in all of the photos that they're taking. Maybe like, you know, face bomb like one or two of them, but if it's going to be all of them, someone's going to come around and, and find that. And now these days, like Google will like bring up the faces of people who like show up commonly in your photos. So that, that'll totally backfire, right? Oh yeah. They'd be like, who is that? They would <laughs> yeah. instantly know. <laughs> yeah. Who's this person that's in all your photos? <laughs> uh, I think it's photo bombing, not face bombing. Oh yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> What's a face bomb then? I have no idea, but it sounds <laughs> oh, dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I've been doing it all these Or sexy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it could be a cool new sex move. This wouldn't be the first time we invented a sex move together. (laughs) That's true. What was the last one? Blowjob curls.